0: to The Venue podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Uh, Well, welcome to The Venue at Southcrest. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. Have the privilege of, uh, how do I say it, uh, shepherd or, or pastor young minds, uh, in particular middle school minds here. Um, most of you know me, you see me around. Most of you uh, know my name because I've just introduced myself, but most of you also probably know me from hosting the venue here on Sunday mornings occasionally, and most of the time you see me back there, but uh, they decided to let me out Uh, From there, which is kind of scary because aside from Brandon, I don't know any other drummers that are able or called to preach. And there's like this weird connection of he's just a drummer. Can he really preach? Can he really speak good? Uh, But I'm excited to be here with you this morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, I would actually encourage you if you're using it on a phone to put your phone down and grab one in front of you. Because the church purchased those wonderful ESV Bibles. Grab one in front of you, turn to 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. And uh, we've got a weighty topic to think about this morning. So before we even read any of God's Word and dive in, uh, would you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, we are thankful for this day. We thank you for waking us up and giving us new mercies and bringing us here to worship. But Father, now we pause to ask for help. So help us. We desperately, Lord, need this word from you this morning. And I believe there are people here who are walking through the middle of something difficult and need this. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would be glorified in our midst Help us to see you as supremely good and supremely valuable in every day of our lives. The good days, the bad days, and even the tragic days. God, awaken us from our slumber. We trust too far or too much on ourselves. So Lord, by using this text this morning, I pray that you would help us to see the great hope that we have in Jesus and what he's accomplished, and help us to know and to trust that your grace is indeed sufficient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the text we're looking at is uh, verses 7 through 10, as you can see behind me. Uh, The passage of scripture we've got this morning we're examining is definitely unique. Uh, I've also uh, found some unique and awesome glories in it. I believe it to be very weighty when you try and think about what's really going on. And I've stewed over it. I, I think that's a good word to choose. Or maybe marinated is another word. I've marinated over this passage for several weeks now. Brandon came to me a couple months ago and asked me to fill in since he was going to be out of town. Uh, I've prayed for our time together. Uh, I've prayed for you to be strengthened and also for me to be as clear as I can in trying to tackle a passage such as this one. So let's read it together and then hopefully let it speak to us. As we read now, I'm focusing on verses seven through 10, but let's go back to one because this one, uh, this passage is kind of unique and I I think you'll see that and we've got to get a little bit of context and understanding. So verse one of chapter 12, Paul says, I must go on boasting though. There is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ Jesus who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven Whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Let me pause there really quick because you're going to see a transition. Paul's not talking about someone else. He's talking about himself in the third person because he's that cool. (laughs) He can do that. How many of you know someone who does that? Tony wants to go get a drink. Let's go. Paul's doing that here for a couple of different reasons, but you're going to see a transition here from third person to first person. So that gives us the clue that he's talking about himself. Verse four. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast... I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. See the transition there? He's talking about himself now. Verse 7, so to keep, this is where we're going to focus, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I've heard it uh, from different guys, different preachers, that a good preacher will tell you what, at the front end, what they're doing, what they're hoping to accomplish and where they're going. So I'm gonna try and do that this morning. So I'm not leaving it kind of open and vague. uh, And hopefully you won't have to figure this out. But what I'd like to do is really just kind of look at verses 7 through 10 in the context of 1 through 10. Think about what's really going on there with Paul. And then towards the end, we'll transition and we'll think about what trials and persecutions and calamities and suffering looks like in our life. And then hopefully we'll respond to the word of God together. Now, in reading this passage, I noticed a handful of words that probably deserve our attention. I don't know if you did as we read it, a word such as boasting, that was one that was repeated. Visions and revelations, that's one that just makes me a little curious. I want to know what's going on there. Uh, thorn, a messenger of Satan. Conceited, we saw t- uh, twice. And you're, depending on which translation you're reading, uh, you may have a different word. Uh, and finally, this phrase, my grace is sufficient for you. And if you were okay with being here till 11 or 1130, I'd look at those with you but I don't want to do that because I get hungry myself and I'm going to be tired today and I'll need a nap. But I want to do is note a few of those things to help us grasp what is really going on here, what Paul's talking about and why he's doing that. Now we have to keep in mind that we've got a whole letter here and I picked this passage because I had actually had studied and taught it before. But for us this morning, we're plopping down in the middle of a letter like, and we have no idea what's going on. Actually, this is at the end of the letter. So what would help us is to realize there's a lot going on here, but we need to look backwards to get an idea of what's going on. Because honestly, when you read this at first glance, you probably don't have much of a clue. So if you have a few moments to bear with me, I would like to get you caught up. And to do that, I kind of wanted to do it by asking a question slash illustration. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you met someone famous or someone of notoriety, or maybe you've been in a really cool place, or something really cool happened uh, in your circle of life, that you know if you shared it with a friend or a family member, they would be slightly jealous. How many of you has that ever happened? Maybe you've just met someone, some, some type of celebrity. couple? Yes? All right. I thought maybe there'd be more. Has anyone had anything cool happen, and you were like, oh, I gotta tell so-and-so about this? They're gonna... Yeah? Okay, good. Y'all know you're tracking with me, though. You know what I'm talking about? Think about how you felt in that moment and then maybe how excited you were to share that with someone else. Um, it's, it's very seldom that we get opportunities to meet people like that or to experience something like that, but then we're, we're just so prone to want to go and share it with others. And I thought, by way of illustration, is to share a couple of my experiences. Um, hopefully this will track with you. Uh, when I moved here last year, and I was moving my stuff into the office and getting to know Richard and Colin and Corbin, they had uh, kind of found out that years ago, I got to meet Mark Tremonti, which probably no one has any idea who that is, but you probably have heard of the band Creed. Uh, so, okay, good. Some people are like, yes, I've heard of them. They don't really exist anymore. I know. But anyway, getting to tell about this experience with Colin and Corbin, they were like, What? Mark Tremonti, you you got to meet him? Yeah, we were just hanging out. It was really like this backstage thing. I had passes. We're just totally talking about the new Alter Bridge record that was about to come out. It was really cool. It was a moment like that. See, even telling that story gives me a little bit of a feeling like, oh, yeah, that happened to me. But here's why I begin that way. This is almost exactly where we find the Apostle Paul in the part of this letter. Uh, he did not get to meet Mark Tremonti, but he's trying to counteract something else going on here. He's trying to defend himself and his apostleship to the people in Corinth as he's writing this letter. And the people in Corinth were being tested by other men who were coming in and claiming to be apostles. In fact, Paul used a specific word to describe these men In verse 5 of chapter 11, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. I find this very interesting. But Paul wrote this earlier in chapter 11. He said, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Now, what does the word super apostle mean? Now, if you're anything like me and you're a 90s kid or a little older than me, you know where I'm going. um, And you'll be able to kind of track with me on this. I grew up a huge fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anyone else? Maybe kids today still do? Yeah. As I read this, I could not help but think about, you're thinking it? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2 at the end where the villain Shredder drinks that green ooze and he's a super shredder. (laughs) It was just drowning my thoughts as I was trying to like, what is going on here? What's a super apostle? He's on a super shredder. In truth, what Paul is doing here and referring to these guys as super apostles is they were coming in and claiming to be apostles of Jesus Christ, but they were claiming that they had a special power because they were receiving divine visions and revelations. And as they would come into Corinth and talk to other believers, they would say, hey, I had a revelation sent to me from Jesus. And other people would be like, oh, really? What happened? Tell me about it. So you can see where some of these believers are starting to be influenced in the same way that you and I would want to tell a story uh, of a time we got to hang out with someone of, 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 notoriety or a celebrity, whatever it may have been. So in the very same way that you and I would marvel at that experience, if I were to say, Hey, on a regular basis, I get to hang out with insert your fam- your favorite actor, I don't know, Will Smith. Or a Kanye West. I don't know. I I feel like I can talk about him now because he's one of us. (laughs) But you could see how Christians in Corinth who were being influenced by these super apostles could start to feel and be persuaded to think about their apostleship over the apostle Paul. Now, since we've gone back to chapter 11, let me real quickly, I'd be remiss if I didn't kind of catch you up really briefly and tell you what Paul's doing in 11, which leads to what we read in chapter 12. So let me give you the short version of it. And I promise it will make sense by me explaining it to you what he's doing and then what he says in chapter 12. Now, most of us know that Paul's a pretty humble guy, right? Amen. At least after he met Jesus, he, he was really humbled. He doesn't like to bring attention to himself. He doesn't like to boast by any means, unless, of course, as we've seen here in chapter 12, that he's boasting on the greatness and the glory of Christ Jesus. But in this portion of 2 Corinthians, we see him boasting about something. But it may not be what you think. You see, Paul is using, all throughout 11 and 12, a particular kind of rhetorical writing style with his readers And the rhetoric he uses is in place to remind them and to prove his apostleship. And I even believe, as I read and studied this, that his readers would kind of sense the passion and the frustration and the anger and the heart behind his words. Because all throughout chapter 11, Paul is reminding the uh, Corinthian believers. And actually he says, I will continue to defend myself and explain myself if it will undermine the super apostles. I will do these things, even though I don't like to, I will do it for your sake. He goes on to describe different sufferings on his missionary journeys, being shipwrecked and being snake bitten and being sick. And he tells them, as you read through it, God allowed all of this in my life for a purpose, but I also want you to know, as I've learned, God allowed it, but he brought me through it. There's actually one point in uh, chapter 11 where Paul says, I am talking like a madman. You can go and look. It's verse 23. Uh, I've never seen Paul address himself that way. Um, But Paul says, I will do these things for your sake because I have experienced a greater laboring pain than these super apostles have. So as you read through 2 Corinthians, you really start to get a sense of how Paul feels about these people. These are his brothers and sisters. And furthermore, you really start to think about and see, Paul's not just doing this for himself and for his people, but he knows the gospel is at stake. So he's going to fight and defend for that. A genuine gospel boasts only in Jesus Christ. A gospel that boasts in man uh, or special powers and visions is no gospel at all. So that's kind of what Paul's Combating here and what he's doing to defend himself and to call his friends back into fellowship by saying, "Hey, I was given apostleship by Christ Jesus. Don't believe these false prophets, these false apostles who are super in some sense." Now, all of that that I just shared briefly leads us to what we read in chapter 12, where Paul says in verse 1, "I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it." Now. How many parents in here have kids and you've heard them say one time or maybe many times, he made me do it or she made me do it. Sarah, how many times do we hear that? Almost every day. Now, Paul is a grown man, but Paul said that. Paul said, hey, they made me do it. Look at verse uh, 11 and 12 of where we actually stopped in uh, chapter 12. Paul says, I have been a fool. You forced me to do it. For I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, which is what he said in chapter 11. Even though I am nothing, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So now that hopefully we've kind of seen what Paul is doing, what he's writing about, and talking about his experiences as an apostle, and calling his friends, his brothers and sisters, back into fellowship by saying, hey, do not be influenced by visions and stories and revelations. They're not real, at least in their sense. They're using it to boast on themselves. So I want to show you three quick things from this text, and then we'll kind of get into the practical, real life, what does this look like for us. And this, uh, are, these are in your notes. You'll notice your notes look a little different this morning, so you can follow along with me as we work through this. The first thing that we see is God prevents pride in his apostle. We're gonna talk more about what is actually going on in verses seven through 10, but this is one of the first things that I see. God is preventing pride in his apostle. Now, as great as it was to be called up to the third heaven and to get a glimpse of an eternal glory, unfortunately for Paul, it ended up kinda bad. Listen, I I have prayed this myself. I don't know. I feel like a lot of you have, maybe earlier on in your walk with Christ, you have prayed, dear Lord, would you let me to see you so I can know you're real? How many people have prayed that? Like, especially when you're kind of journeying and walking through your faith and trying to figure out if this is real or not. Dear Lord, let me see you so I can know you're real. Or maybe if you're like me, you've actually wondered how amazing it would be to see where God dwells and then ultimately where we're going to end up. How many of you have wondered that? I'd hope maybe a lot more hands would be up with me because I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be really sweet and pretty awesome. I, I think about those things. But we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that is not what we need. We don't need to see God's given us enough. He's given us an entire book. And then he sends the Holy Spirit as kind of a a deal, uh, sealing the deal, to say, hey, you're mine. Trust and follow me, put your faith in me, and I'll bring you home. So, God prevents pride in his apostle by giving him one of the coolest, most awesome glimpses glimpses of eternal glory that we could ever fathom or think about. Secondly, God granted an unspeakable revelation. Paul had reason to boast about this revelation. He talked about it in the verses that we read. He said, I was called up. I don't know if I was in the body or out of body, but what I saw, I was commanded not to talk about. Now, there's a really cool detail in, in these verses that you may or may not have noticed the, the detail of timing. Notice where Paul says, I know a man who 14 years ago was called up. Do y'all see that? Now think about that. Paul hung, like, he hung on to this for 14 years. Like, he saw it, was commanded not to say anything about it, and he did. How difficult would that be for us? If we're honest, we would have come down and been tooting our own horn and writing books and posting it on Facebook and YouTube, telling everyone, hey, I've seen it, it's real, you're gonna lose your life if you don't, don't wanna put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's awesome. Paul hung on to that for 14 years. And then he even says in 2 Corinthians, hey, I didn't wanna do this. You kinda of forced me to, but I wanna share this with you. But it didn't come uh, at, at a light cost. Paul was given a divine privilege He didn't ever discuss it and he didn't ever boast on himself until now, but he takes that situations and he boasts more on Jesus than he does himself. Now, again, receiving this revelation and getting to see what, what God showed him uh, came at a cost. Paul says in light of what God showed me to keep me from being conceited, a messenger of Satan was given to me to harass me, a thorn in the flesh, to keep me from boasting, to keep me from being conceited. Now we could spend another 15 minutes talking about what the thorn in the flesh really is. Cause I don't know how many of you actually wonder what it is. Maybe it's just human curiosity. Like, oh man, what was it? Because obviously we see Paul in some deep anguish and some suffering and pain, but we don't really get a clue. And the truth is this, what happened to Paul? What's the thorn in the flesh? No one really knows. And guess what else? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't. In light of everything going on in this passage, it's just a thing that kind of points us to something greater. Now, there have been many theologians and scholars, guys way smarter than I have, than I am, who have commented on this and they think, well, it could be this, it could be something physical, it could be something spiritual ultimately, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter. Paul was given something that anguished him. It hurt him. He didn't like it. He pleaded with the Lord to take it away. How many of you have done that before? Wherever, whatever the situation would be, whether it may be something physical, you're not feeling well, that's happened to me. Pain and suffering in light of uh, something that's happened in your life, and you just pleaded and prayed to God, God, take this away. Now, There are a couple of hints here and I'm not gonna, I don't wanna make an astute observation and say, hey, I think it's this, but there are a couple of words that leads me to believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh was something physical. Notice the word harass or uh, another translation might've been buffeted in the word thorn. The, the, The word, the Greek word Paul used is not communicating something verbally where someone came and verbally assaulted him. Although we do get a clue into that because if you remember at verse 10, Paul says, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, and persecutions. Now, could it have been something verbal? Absolutely. But the word Paul used communicates something physical, actually kind of like a fisticuff. So, like, think of getting punched hard, hurt, really bad. The other thing that leads me to believe was something physical was the word for thorn. The, th- the word for thorn literally means stake. So, it's possible he was impaled with something. So putting all that together, kind of context, context clues leads me to believe it could be something physical, but the truth is, I don't know. It, It could be something, uh, spiritual, emotional, who knows, whatever it was, it caused pain and anguish and suffering to Paul, whatever it may have been. He didn't like it. He pleaded with the Lord going so far as to say, God, take this from me. Not once, Not twice, but three times. And here is what's astonishing. Love what we see in verse 9. The answer that Paul gets is no. 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 But he does get an answer, and it's very different. What is it? The Lord responds and says, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect and weakness. God is telling Paul this. Don't miss this. Paul, this is going to make you weak. It may even crush your spirit, but if you have any power, it's going to be mine. Amen? If you have any power, Paul, it's going to be mine. So we see that there is a deep tension between our strength and God's strength. And to show us just how weak we really are, God uses our suffering to demonstrate his sufficiency. Amen? God uses the difficult times in life to demonstrate how sufficient he really is. Our problem is is we don't see it. We don't turn to it. We don't use it. John Bloom is a guy I look up to and respect. He is an author, written a couple books. He writes articles, and he's a co-founder of Desiring God. He said this, If God has given you a thorn in the flesh, he doesn't simply want to weaken you, he wants to be your strength. How how mind-changing is this concept, this verse, to us as humans, to us as Christians, when we're walking through the most difficult and painful times in life. He doesn't just want to weaken you, he wants to be your strength. There's a third thing that I see here, and I want to talk for a few moments about this and then we'll begin to wrap up. The third thing we see in verses 7 through 10 is the shaming of Satan. The shaming of Satan. Now, there is a great biblical truth that I think most of us in this room know. In fact, I'm sure you've heard this. What you meant for evil, God meant for amen. Now, while that is true, this passage takes it to a whole new level. So don't miss this. And this is what I kind of see here, and I'm hoping you'll see with me. And it's in this statement, this truth. God uses demons to undo the design of demons. Following with me? In the same way, God uses Satan, just as he did here, to defeat the purposes of Satan. Amen? Do y'all see it? God sent a messenger of Satan to conflict Paul. Paul said, Take it away. Take it away, take it away. No, 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 but my grace is sufficient for you. Now, this is where we kind of transition a little bit and start thinking about us, modern day, 2019, West Texas. This idea of suffering under a sovereign God is not exceptional just to people in the Bible or to people hundreds of years ago. And I certainly don't think it's limited just to Paul or other biblical figures. So this is not just a special case that we read about. Here's why: God did the same thing with Judas. He's doing it here with Paul and brother, sister. I know and I believe He'll do it with you. Now, this is where I turmoiled this last week, and thinking about this passage and the theme of suffering. It's tough to think about. It's tough to preach on. It's it's tough to teach yourself. but I don't have to tell you because you can walk out this door and you know from your own life experiences and maybe you're walking through something right now, this world is broken. It's not right. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. Whether it be the smallest little detail in your life or the biggest suffering will happen. God did the same thing with Judas. He's doing it with Paul and he'll do it through you and me. So let, let that sink in for just a moment. Now, there was a reason that I mentioned Judas because I saw something uh, in the connection uh, that I made here in lear- learning and learning and studying this text because the story of Judas is a perfect illustration of what I want to point out here. Many of you know the story of Judas, right? And how his life played out. One of the apostles became the bad seed, handed over Jesus, right? He betrayed Jesus and he handed him over to be crucified, Now, as horrible as we think that is, with all the betrayal there, what did the betrayal of Judas ultimately accomplish? The salvation of all people. Judas handed Jesus over to be crucified. Some of you may even know the scripture. Luke chapter 22, if you want to jot it down, verses 3 and 4. There's a clue here that points exactly to what I'm trying to make, the point that I'm trying to make. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was the number of the twelve. He went away and he conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him, Jesus, to them. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but there is a profound comfort in knowing that God always is one upping his enemies. Amen? Like, God always gets the best of the situation, God always gets the last word, even when his enemies, or our enemies for that matter, think that they might prevail, think that they've won the battle, God always says, nope, not that one. That which you meant for evil, I'm going to use for good. Furthermore, this story, what we're talking about, what we're thinking about, is evidence of God's perfect and sovereign rule in the universe and in every one of our lives. But there is a better way to see, a cooler way, to see the events of Judas's life in the scope of history. We've already kind of talked about as bad as that was, it accomplished something really great, didn't it? Here's the way we, we could see it. This is cool. The moment that Satan entered into Judas, Satan signed his own death warrant with the blood of Jesus. Y'all see it? How amazing is that? Satan's like, I've got it now, (laughs) this one's mine. Nope, Satan signs his death warrant with the blood of Jesus, but it gets better. The suicide of Judas, y'all know he went and did that, is symbolic of the suicide of Satan. And over and over again, throughout the course of history of God's people, God shamed Satan as a suicidal fool in the purposes of salvation for his people. That's exactly what Paul is experiencing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God is doing it here in the life of Paul. He is putting Satan to work to protect Paul's pride. God is putting the father of all pride to work to destroy the pride of his apostle. Should I say that again? God is putting the father of all pride, Satan, to work, to destroy the pride of one of his apostles. But here's the kicker. The three things that I've showed you that we've kind of pulled right out of the text that you've hopefully maybe jotted down, as great as those things are, I don't even believe that they're the main point of the text. But knowing all these things will help us see the weight and glory of verses 9 and 10. Look with me, we read it earlier. God's response to Paul is, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, amen, Lord, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we've seen, number one, that God prevents pride in his apostle. Number two, God granted an unspeakable revelation. And number three, we we looked at and we thought about the shaming of Satan. But I don't think we should limit it to just those three things. So here's the main idea, the main point. For this passage, you can jot down. God is perfecting the manifestation of the power and the grace of Jesus Christ in the life of Paul. It's on the screen. God is perfecting the manifestation of the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, I think Paul sees that, especially by the way he responds And I believe he understands that. John Piper, uh, I, I like to quote him occasionally. He was speaking on this very same passage, and he said this, my body and my soul are being made the theater for the drama of Satan's shame and Christ's glory. That's difficult to think about and maybe even to let it sink in and chew on. God will use you and use difficult times dark times in life to shame the enemy and to exalt Jesus Christ. This is why Paul responds the way he does, uh, does in verses nine and 10. Now let, let, us make this personal for a few moments and then, then we'll, we'll wrap up, uh, in an effort to kind of make this real, I wanted you to think about your own life. Cause here's the reality. If I could, if I had magic fingers and I could draw an invisible line from here, all the way across to here and say that this line that I just drew was a timeline of the history of Christianity. So you could start here with in the beginning, Genesis 1, 1, God created the fall of man right there. Fast forward. Then Jesus comes in thousands of later. And then we'll just say the end of the line is not eternity, but where we're at right now in 2019. You see all throughout Christian history that there is a theme of suffering among many other themes but there is always a theme of suffering. Unfortunately, it is our reality. It is the world that we live in. You will suffer at some point, whether it be emotionally or physically. The question though, I think for us as Christians is this, are you suffering because of the effects of sin in the world and in your life, or are you suffering because of being persecuted because you're a follower of Christ? Meaning, Are you living a bold and robust faith in Christ where people are seeing it and then maybe they dislike you or they belittle you because of you? It's happened all throughout Christian history and it's happening still today. So would you take just a moment, think about something in your own life, Um, maybe right now, or maybe it was a couple months ago, maybe it was a couple years ago. Uh, And if you're in this room and you're like, well, I'm not sure, God's been really good to me. Well, then let me caution you with this. Prepare. Something will happen in life, and it'll be difficult. Whatever it may be, dear brother and sister, it could be cancer. It could be heartache. It could be divorce. It could be the fact that you've tragically lost a loved one. You might have self-esteem issues. You might be rejected. You might be going through depression. Whatever it is, the list goes on and on and on because we live in a broken world. Now think about that. Think about how it makes you feel. Think about how difficult it is. And think about how we're in those moments, all we want is help. And where do we go? Things, people, that's not necessarily wrong. I believe God uses people and things to help comfort us. But if you remember what we said earlier, ultimately God wants to be your strength. This world is broken. Our hope is not found in things, but found in him who made all things. Amen? Now, uh, I wanted to share kind of a quick personal testimony because I'm not immune to this just because I'm up here teaching. Um, and maybe you'll kind of track and relate with me. I've, I lost both of my parents, excuse me, before I turned 30. Uh, I was 23 when my dad passed away to cancer. And I lost my mother six years later in a single car, car accident. Tire blew, lost control when the median flipped, and it took her life. Both of those uh, are hard. It's never easy to lose a loved one, a parent. Uh, I remember getting the phone calls for both of them. Uh, the reason I'm sharing those is because I thought about it as I was dwelling on this text and thinking about it like, where are those times in my life that God has done something? And I might have missed an opportunity to let him be my strength. And there's really been two events in my life that I can think about. I remember crying at at the hospice center with my dad when I got the call at 2 a.m. that he passed. And I remember my stepfather calling me when my mom passed. And I drove immediately to Sarah's work. And um, I couldn't hold it in. I just lost it. She took me in a side room and we cried together just because it happened. And there were some personal things that I, do, I was dealing with. I felt like I'd, I might not have been intentional enough with my faith because uh, there's always kind of a thing as a follower of Christ. You want your friends and family to come to know Jesus, but sometimes you just drop the ball at really letting them know who Jesus is and sharing the gospel with them. So that was something that I turmoiled over. Uh, she's gone. I don't know if I'll ever ha- have another. I know I won't have another opportunity to share with her, uh, and I don't know where she is, and I'm trusting the Lord with that. Some of you know my story and Sarah's story. I won't go into great detail. Um, Sarah and I have been married for 10 years, but she was married before. And she lost her husband to depression. And it's sad. And it hurts. I, I was trying not to get choked up. But to think about all that God has done in that. I mean, the strength he gave Sarah how he brought our lives together. Oh my gosh, I, I can't even fathom. I'm like, how do, I, how do I deserve that? God's grace, suffering, and he wants to be our strength. So whatever it is for you, I've learned that the most painful experience in life, through those times, the deepest, darkest times, God is doing more good in it than we can ever imagine. Amen? God is preparing for us an eternal glory that won't compare to this life. Sam Rutherford once said this Our little time of suffering is not worthy of our first night's welcome home in heaven. How many of you go on vacation, whether you go to a hotel or an Airbnb or whatever it is, and you walk into where you're staying, you're like, oh man, this is so cool. I get to stay here a week. The beach is right there. It's going to be fantastic. As cool as that is, it doesn't compare to where we're going, where our home is. Our time of suffering doesn't compare. Uh, Here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray, and a couple guys are gonna come up and and play, and we're gonna do kind of our response a little bit differently, and there's there's a space in your notes, so if you would follow along with me, I'll explain that in just a second, but let's pray. Father, thank you for this good word. Thank you for the truth of eternal hope that we have in Jesus. God, that even in our darkest times, you are working in it. You want to be our strength. Father, you want to live and rule and reign in our lives. Father, we get in the way. So help us. Father, thank you for this example. Thank you for this time together that we just get to come together and sing and then to dive into your word and be transformed and changed by it. Help us now in this next few moments, because we've only got a few, Lord, that we would respond to this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you want to do this, it's totally up to you. I would encourage you to. It's something I tried uh, a couple months ago with our middle school students. Every time I teach, we, we do this. Because I believe the word of God demands a response. Amen? It's not like a, hey, think about it. If you want to do it later. Yeah. It demands a response. Every Sunday, From when we walk out these doors, we've got to do something with the word of God. So here's what I want to do. Um, As these guys are playing, there's a couple spots in your notes at the bottom. I'm going to put a couple questions on the screen. There's one of them. And if you would, take time and jot an answer down. Not for my sake, this really isn't for me. This is more for you, and it's between you and the Lord. And even if you throw this away when you leave, or if you rip it in half and tuck it in your Bible, and you look at it some weeks down the road, I'm sure it'll be helpful. Helpful. So what are some of your own weaknesses? Think about that. Maybe think about that difficult pain and suffering time you were thinking about. And then what can you do to minimize your own strength and maximize God's strength? So think about that. I I don't know what that looks like for you. It could be daily Bible reading. It could be intentional prayer. It could be loving on people. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. So if you would, take just a moment and jot something down. Daily Bible reading. It could be intentional prayer. It could be loving on people. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. So if you would, take just a moment and jot something down. It's a lady by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. She was married to a gentleman named Jim Elliott. Some of you may have heard of him. He was a missionary to Ecuador. He was going to reach an unreached people group. And as he was going to share Jesus with him, they killed him. They took his life. Elizabeth Elliot. It's a lady by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. She was married to a gentleman named Jim Elliot. Some of you may have heard of him. He was a missionary to Ecuador. He was going to reach an unreached people group. And as he was going to share Jesus with them, they killed him. They took his life. Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, ended up going on to live her life, wrote a couple books about suffering, and went on to go and speak before she passed away some years ago. But she said this, it's only in the cross that we can begin to harmonize the seeming contradiction between suffering and glory. And we will never ever understand suffering unless we understand the love of God. So here's the second question. God refused to take away Paul's thorn. We saw that in 2 Corinthians. But the answer he gave was, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. So think about an area or areas of your life where you're needing God's grace to be sufficient for you. Think about that and jot it down. We're going to close by singing just a couple of choruses of a song. I'm going to invite you just to stay seated. You don't have to stand. The song is entitled your grace is sufficient for me. Uh, so, as you're writing, as you're praying, whatever that looks like, they're going to sing. Um, the invitation is clear. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The great thing about Matthew 11 is Jesus doesn't say, Hey, do this, this, and this, and if you do this, you'll find rest. Jesus says, Come to me, I'm your rest. Jesus doesn't offer us things, he offers us himself. So however you respond, if you're writing your answers, uh, Richard and I will be in the back with Jack. Uh, if you want to talk to us or come pray, we're going to sing this song together. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of The Venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to The Venue Podcast.